Hey, it's Seeking Plum. So I just listened to this interesting episode of Rationally Speaking with Julia Galef. It's episode 196, and she talks with Eric Schwitz-Gable. It's entitled Weird Ideas and Opaque Minds. They talked about several interesting topics, but one of them touches on a book that he co-wrote with another author in which he believes that self-knowledge is not knowable and cannot be accurate, that there's no way to know what we're thinking and feeling. I have to say that this particular episode was quite the uh, ride for me because at first I was like, wow, this guy is really interesting and I'm enjoying this. And then we got to this part of it and at first I had a face palm and then I started getting quite worked up. And I was like, what is my problem here? For a bit of context, Schwitzgabel is a professor of philosophy at the University of California, Riverside. And the book he co-wrote is called Describing Inner Experience, Proponent Meets Skeptic. Now first, I don't know that I can exactly tell you what my problem was, but I think I had some unrealistic expectations. Before I get into my response or my thoughts on some of this, I think that self-awareness or acquiring self-knowledge is a skill. It's something we have to learn. It's something we have to work at. And like anything, then, there is no perfect state of being. There's no perfect ball player, so there's no perfect uh, individual with self-knowledge or the ability to pull that information out of themselves. Okay, but back to his point that we are frequently wrong about our conscious experiences, about what we're thinking and feeling. He brought up several kinds of examples. For one thing, when someone is yelling, I'm not angry! We've all seen that kind of thing before. Or, for instance, if you ask someone to describe, you know, the back or the front of their house and they attempt to do it, they may have a different uh, image in their mind and how it presents itself, whether it's in color or not, fuzzy, clear, etc. And I'm sure the examples would be numerous that you could pull out and list. But see, here's the thing. It's that the brain makes connections based on relationships. So there's no one piece of data that stands by itself. So basically, how we perceive the world today is based on our history. Not just from, say, 10 years ago, but even from the last minute. So as we're moving through life, we're carrying all of that history, those experiences with us. We're perceiving what we are experiencing now, what we're seeing now, through those lenses. And obviously, those lenses, those experiences are different from somebody else's. Then there's our physiological response, our emotions, and then our mindset. How you respond when you're angry may be different than how I respond. And most emotions are not one-dimensional. So typically speaking, we're, we're feeling more than one thing at the same time. If you really wanted to break it down, it would be a ratio. So let's pretend I've considered the pieces of information we need, like history, you know, the physiological responses, and, and, and all of that that's entailed, you know, blood pressure, whether we're tingling or excited or what have you, you know, all of the layers of emotions, what we might be thinking in that moment, you know, consciously and not consciously, not just about what's happening now, but what might be on our mind about other things as well. Now, Somehow or another, we're supposed to take all of that data, we're supposed to interpret that into 
what? Something we can spit out to somebody else. So now we have to change it into vocabulary words, pulled out of our lexicon, which again, our lexicon is built on our experiences, our environment, who we spend time with. And does the person we're speaking with share that lexicon? And typically speaking, we want this to be a concise thing. So maybe a word or two, angry, happy, and that's assuming that we're being straight up about what we're feeling or experiencing. And it usually all of this, all of this has to happen like that. If we don't know ourselves that well, or we are rusty in this area, then we're not going to have that much accuracy when we spit out those one or two word responses. Not to mention the other person interpreting what we're saying. Because I can be angry about something, and I can be angry about something. Oh, and I failed to say this when I touched on the lexicon, but a lot of the times we don't even know how to classify what it is we're feeling because we're trying to essentially pigeonhole or categorize, label these things. And these vocabulary words often have several meanings. I mean, I the other day I mentioned the word heady. That has t two opposite meanings. And like I pointed out with being angry, and can be said with any emotion. It's their scales. It's not all. It's not all or nothing. Added on top of another emotion and another and another. It's this big messy thing we're feeling, and we're trying to label it and spit it out to someone else instead of an opaque self or an unknowable self. I think it's all of these things we are unable to define, because I think it comes back to perception which we've been talking about. I don't think I've touched on this, but Bo Lotto in the book Deviate has said that we were not we were not evolved to perceive the world accurately. We don't see UV light like reindeer or polarized like birds. Our senses are somewhat limited. We can't make out electrons and protons, neutrons. We can't feel their vibrations. Can you imagine if we could? All of that data coming in absolutely everything we perceive in this world is inaccurate or unknowable. Schwitzgebel pointed out that he could look at the mug in front of him and describe it in more detail than maybe his internal experience. But I would argue that he's comparing apples to oranges. For one, a mug is less complex than we are. For two, I would say he's seeing still less of the mug than he thinks he is. At the end of the interview, Schwitzgebel reveals that he still believes as he does, but he's not at the extreme end of his thinking that he was once. Oddly enough, I think I'm going to tie this into the previous episode. The brain adapts, and we know that. I think it's about either putting the proper obstacles in our path or the proper stimuli in our path to adapt to so that we work on developing our self-awareness exercising that muscle. And when we're not working to change our perception purposefully that way, then we have to decide when to and when not to adapt to obstacles that are thrown at us. Like the body and the brain adapt when there is a loss in a sense or a, a limb, the, the mind can adapt to, you know, learning about self-awareness. The mind can even find healing after past trauma. That's not to say it's easy or that it's fast, but it can be done. It's a muscle. It adapts.
On the whole, it, w- it was an enjoyable listen. They started off talking about a blog he had written about truth, dare, and wonder philosophers. I can't say that I understand dare philosophers, but hey, to each their own. I do feel an affinity for the wonderers, though. I'll leave it at that, and I will put the links to all things in the show notes for you.